paying too much for health insurance? Frustrated by high deductibles, network restrictions, and increasing premiums? There's a better way. Christian Healthcare Ministries. CHM is a Christian community delivering a robust, faith-based solution to the high cost of healthcare. If your current health insurance has become more of a racket than a remedy, take back control of your healthcare at around half the price. Learn more and enroll today at chministries.org. That's chministries.org. I'm Dana Perino, and this is Perino on Politics. Today marks day 17 of the Israel-Hamas war, and as the death toll abroad continues to rise, leaders from across the world are responding to the unrest and devastation in the Middle East. Following his trip to Israel, President Biden addressed the nation in a primetime speech from the Oval Office on October 19th. He was trying to make the case for a funding package to aid the country's national security and support Israel and Ukraine. However, with Congress still without a speaker, the White House's request for $105 billion in aid has no approval or delivery date in sight. Joining me today with a look abroad and also here at home on politics is my friend and colleague, Brett Baer. He is Fox News's chief political anchor. He is host of the Brett Baer podcast on Fox News Audio. He is anchor of Special Report with Brett Baer. Of course, that's 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel right after the 5. And he's also the author of many best-selling books. The latest is titled To Rescue the Constitution, which I don't know if he realized was going to be so apt when he <laughs> wrote it. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. Brett, if we could just start, there's breaking news right now, and this podcast will come out on Monday, October 23rd, that apparently Hamas is going to release two more hostages, Israeli hostages this time, I got to tell you, I'm uncomfortable with this situation. We know that Hamas is holding babies, children, and I feel like Qatar, Iran, they need to have a lot more pressure ratcheted up on them to release those innocent people. And I would still say that the men that were taken are also hostages. They might call them prisoners of war. I heard that Hamas was trying to say that these children were prisoners of war. I'm like, no, that's not how this works. And you better release them right now. Yes, I agree with you, Dan. That's going to be with you. I think that this is, you know, we saw the two Americans released and now we have two others uh, that are reportedly going to be released, but there are more than 200. Um, you know, and we don't know where it stands, the exact number, but many of them are, are women and children um, and they're not soldier on soldier. These are civilians who were captured. So I think we're hearing more and more about the the details of the depravity and some of those attacks to the point where it's, you know, overwhelming. Some people who've seen these videos, uh, Katie Britt, Alabama Senator mm-hmm. had a very emotional statement um, earlier about, you know, being there with a the bipartisan codel of lawmakers and having presented to them this, uh, the atrocities. And uh, she said, you can't have this. We have to fight evil. So I think that's the pushback, Dana, to some of what we've seen on these college campuses and in different world uh, leaders' comments about Israel's actions. Mm -hmm. And so tell me a little bit about your thinking after the president made his primetime address last week on whether I actually think that that funding package for aid for Israel and Ukraine will ultimately get done. I think it will be ugly, messy, et cetera. It will get done. Um, the Congress is going to make it a lot harder than it needs to be. But how do you see it? 
Yeah, I do think it's probably going to get done. I think, you know, putting in the border security on the U.S. southern border is pretty smart politically because, you know, that is a major problem. Um, I think the Ukraine funding is where a lot of the pushback comes from uh, from the Republican caucus. But overall, they'll probably have the votes in the split of Republicans who back the action uh, inside Ukraine and Democrats who are pretty united on it. So eventually, I think it'll get there. But I'm, I agree with you. It'll probably be messy along the way. And what do you think about people sort of say the clock, you know, where President Biden has said Hamas is as bad as ISIS? Well, the United States led the coalition to destroy ISIS. So President Biden says Hamas is worse than ISIS or as bad as ISIS. Presumably, that says, Israel, we understand you're going to destroy Hamas, but Brett, you already start to feel and see, even in the New York Times, these headlines that say the administration is urging Israel to go slow. Perhaps that's prudent. I don't really know. Obviously, we don't have security clearance uh, here, but it does feel like Israel, you know, that they know and for them that they're living on some borrowed time here. I agree with you. I think. Um... You know, we're still seeing airstrikes. We're still seeing targeted efforts to go after Hamas leadership. And obviously that leads to civilian casualties as well, because Hamas operates with civilians around them as shields. I do think that, you know, that any talk of slowing down uh, what Israel has to do is, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear because it is Israel's deal. You know, they, and they've said they want to go forward and annihilate Hamas. Um, so they're going to do that on their timetable. Now, there's a report out of Axios that uh, a U.S. Marine general is helping, you know, with the mapping out and planning mm, street to street fighting. And that's significant. You mm -hmm. know, that's that's a big deal. We obviously did that in Pollution and other places inside Iraq. For the GOP primary race, of which President Trump is way out in front, how do you think that the foreign policy questions are going to get answered. I don't know if it's true today. I just saw on Twitter. So let me ask you if you know it's true. There's a suggestion that President Trump's team or people on his team, perhaps from him directly, are proposing ways to get the United States out of NATO if he were to become president. You're also going to hear a lot of things like, why are we spending money on overseas conflicts when we don't want, when we, when we have people suffering here at home? And shouldn't we be spending that money here? And is there anybody that is going to be able to articulate the message of America's important role? I mean, I know that President Biden tried. I didn't think he really hit the mark. I think his delivery is really tough and he only does it every once in a while. And he doesn't have a vice president really that can do that for him. And Antony Blinken is traveling all over the world and he's, I think, working as hard as he can. Same with Lloyd Austin. But it just doesn't feel like there's anyone that's carrying the torch. Agree. I agree with you. I think that, um, you know, that articulating, you know, what Reagan principle, which is when the U.S. is engaged in the world, the world's a uh, safer place. Uh, it doesn't mean that we have to be the world's policemen, but it does mean that we have to be engaged and um, fighting the good fight, if you will. And when we're not, or when we appear weak, Weakness is provocative, and a lot of these other uh, leaders step up and do things that uh, they perhaps wouldn't have done if the U.S. was projecting strength. So I think it's a really 
interesting hinge point in the primary. Uh, there is obviously always a, a tinge of isolationism that is easy to hit the populist tones, but you have to have somebody who can explain why it's important and why that makes a difference to us and our security. So I, I do think that Nikki Haley has, has grasped onto that. She's well positioned as former United Nations ambassador, and maybe that's why we're seeing her go up in the polls in places like New Hampshire and, and Iowa. Uh, usually foreign policy, as you know, is not driving the day in elections. But when these big events happen, and you saw it with the Bush campaign, obviously, um, you know, it does factor in and people start thinking about security and safety on that front. Mm -hmm. What did you think about Gavin Newsom, the governor of California, going over to, Cal to, going over to Israel for a visit? Yeah. So Gavin Newsom goes to China and he goes to Israel and he's not running for president. <laughs> <laughs> oh, OK. Gavin. Made a, yeah. And then he previously made a stop to the southern border wall, a mm -hmm. Democrat of California going to the southern border, not even his own Texas's. Um, so I just think, you know, more and more he's positioning himself that if somehow, some way. Uh, the president says, you know, I'm going to pull the ripcord. I don't know how it would look or what the process would be, but I do think that he's clearly positioning himself for this time, not next time. And I know one thing, I'm going to book myself on special report the night that happens because we got to be together <laughs> so we can watch this unfold. All right, that will do it for this segment. I've got a candidate quotable before we go. Which presidential candidate is responsible for the following statement? I'm going to read this and we'll have the answer after the next segment finishes. The quote is, right now we're in a proxy war with Iran and Joe Biden is shoveling billions of dollars either directly or by lifting sanctions on Iran to the people that are funding. He's funding both sides of this war. Who said that? We'll have that answer coming up. And we are back with Perino on politics. Brett, let's look ahead a little bit. We are on October 23rd, so one, two, we're about two and a half weeks, maybe three weeks from that next debate on November 8th. And right now, only four of the candidates have fully qualified to be on that debate stage. Just a reminder, everybody, the number of donors you have to have across 20 states is ratcheted up now, I believe, to 70,000. And you have to have, I think, 4% in a national mm -hmm. poll or two in order to qualify. So I wonder what you think about um, that debate coming up. Do you think that others will qualify? Some have qualified on the donor front, like Doug Burgum, uh, but they haven't quite gotten there on the polling. And that polling is a lot more difficult for them. And Vivek Ramaswamy yeah. says he might not go anyway. Right, which I don't fully understand. But his, his uh, take now is that the super PAC puppet masters uh, want... Not they want American people not to hear from Vivek Ramaswamy. That's his his pitch now, um, and I think he's going pure populist uh, to either get um, a positioning in this primary or try to get on the ticket with uh, Donald Trump. I'm not sure how successful that's going to be, but uh, I do think that you know I mentioned Nikki Haley earlier. I, I think that she has seen some rise since the first two debates. Uh, in, in polling. I think Ron DeSantis has essentially parked himself in Iowa and he's making some headway, you know, because, you know, uh, Iowa is door to door, you know, and if you have enough staff, and you have enough people that are knocking on doors, 
that you get people committed to be caucus goers, it could change the dynamic. And that's the only way that this race changes, I think, Dana, is the early states. And it creates a door, an opening, because obviously all these polls are overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the former president, who today went to New Hampshire and officially filed uh, and made presidential history because he's the first president to file there in New Hampshire after having been president. Right. right. Well, there's some good things that happened to President Trump lately. Um, DeSantis and Haley are feuding. And because they kind of re- realize that they're trying to figure out a way to get on top of one another. And that also just brings me back you know, to Tim Scott. Uh, he lost an endorsement in his home state to Nikki Haley. And they, you know, they went with Haley, not with anybody else. And so she's trying to consolidate that there. But for President Trump, it's good for him, I think, if DeSantis and Haley are feuding. Uh, then he had the news last week that the judge in the January 6th case put a gag order on him talking about things. And then that got a lot of attention, in, I think, in, from his fans and his supporters in his favor. And then an, uh, another judge said, hey, wait, maybe we can back, back off on this a little bit. And then, as you've mentioned, the battleground polls are really good. But there are a couple of things that were kind of um, surprising. Uh, his former... Election attorney Sidney Powell has pled guilty in Georgia in that case, and so did Ken Cheesebro. He pled guilty mm-hmm. as well. So there's a few good things that have happened to President Trump lately, and some people might think that the two lawyers pleading guilty in that case are bad for him. I don't know if it will actually make a difference, though. I agree with you. And, but I do think in these cases, the trying of the cases, potentially having people flip, um, you know, does provide problems. Remember, he is facing a lot of serious charges here. And while it doesn't seem to be affecting him politically, uh, obviously, legally, he's got to take all of these things seriously. And uh, those two obviously are going to be used by the prosecution in in those cases and possibly in the January 6th case uh, when it comes to Cheeseboro and the uh, fraudulent electors. Uh, So you know, there's there's possible challenges there. I, I can't yet know uh, in the crystal ball whether over time all of these appearances in court and all of the things that we will see uh, will have effect, an effect on the electorate or if it's already baked in the cake and they say, listen, this is over the top, it is political, and clearly they're going after him for a reason. Some of that is, you know, bubbling up in polls. Uh, but it, it could go the other way, too. Right. And then can I ask you, you're a student of history, and I kind of know a little bit. What do you think about RFK Jr.'s run right now as a third-party candidate? I think there was a lot of people initially thought that this would hurt Biden, but now there's some people saying, actually, that could hurt Trump. I don't know. I don't know what it does, and I don't know how his campaign looks going forward. Do you have a feeling on that? I mean, I just had early polling in different places that specifically looked at this, and uh, it is actually taking more from Trump support than it is from Biden at this point. Mm-hmm. And maybe because he touches a lot of those themes about deep state and deep state when it comes to health, um, and the CDC, and uh, he, there's a lot of focus on that. And he is attractive to a lot of folks who you know, are looking for something to shake up uh, Washington. That would definitely do it. But he is clearly a Kennedy name 
uh, but the Kennedys in the political sense have disowned him. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure the Democrats, you know, see him as a viable choice. I do think Dean Phillips, he just filed in New oh, Hampshire. Oh, that was my last That's... question in this segment. Yeah. What do you think of Dean Phillips? He's a congressman from Minnesota, has decided to take on Biden. Maybe. I. Yeah, I think that that's, you know, interesting. Not that he's going to get so much traction, but he is going to get attention. And it is going to be, you know, a part of the party that says he can't do the job. And when your own party on the inside is saying that publicly, it's not a great thing for you or your vice president. I do have breaking news before we go to this quick break. Did you know, do you remember this guy, Perry Johnson, who was running for the Republican yes. in the Republican primary? So Perry Johnson, everybody, he was just one of the candidates. He never made the donor threshold. He never made the polling threshold to get on the debate stage. So you haven't seen a lot of him. Well, he dropped out of the race over the weekend. Okay, so he did that. Guess who he endorsed today? Donald Trump, which I think is hilarious. Why were you running against him in the first place? Because exactly. you were not making any traction anyway. So he spent a lot of money. He's he's a very wealthy person and you know, a, an entrepreneur. Um, but that that just in, he has endorsed Donald Trump. So there you go. Yes, there you go. I think he's going to run for Senate in Michigan. Oh, interesting. But, um, he is um, an interesting character. He <laughs> ran a lot of commercials, but he never got the traction. He did run a lot of commercials. That's true. And we are grateful for that. Uh, that wraps up this segment. Before we head to our next one, here's the answer to your candidate quotable. We're in a proxy war with Iran, and Joe Biden is shoveling billions of dollars either directly or by lifting sanctions on Iran to the people that are funding. He's funding both sides of this war. Yes, that quote is from North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum during his interview on the Fox News Rundown podcast last week. We'll have more Perino on politics coming up. Welcome back to Perino on politics. Brett, as we wrap up this episode, I wanted to see a couple of things. First of all, do you think... Are you following anything in this race or in the foreign policy realm that is on your mind that I might be missing? I think that the U.S. role here in Israel is going to be interesting. We talked about that general who's advising on the uh, ground offensive potentially for Israel. I think increasingly uh, what our role is, if there's a northern front in Hezbollah and starts launching missiles with the support of it, Iran, I think that... Uh, the real question is, is how much are we going to step in or help Israel? Mm -hmm. uh, Biden left a, an event today, the president did, saying he had to go to the situation room. And you know what that means. There's yep. some you know, something that is in, in, of import. So I, I do think the U.S. role here is going to be really interesting. Mm -hmm. I think then it's interesting that President sense, Biden said, I'm going to the situation room. He didn't yeah. have to say that. No, it almost slipped mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. But I think on a political sense, I, I'm taken with how much the immigration issue has changed mm -hmm. and the border issue and security has has become really visceral, not just for border states or Republicans, but, you know, these sanctuary cities and states that don't want to be sanctuary anymore and Democrats speaking out. I do think I thought it was going to be a bigger issue in 22. I think immigration is going to bubble up to the top of the list. The economy is always driving the day, but I do think immigration is going to get more attention as a voter issue that matters at yep. uh, this time. Did you see the numbers of gotaways 
Yeah, 23,000. 23,000 and 172 people that were caught, immigrants that were caught, that were on the FBI terror watch list. Yeah, and then you've got Hezbollah and Hamas yep. and the Homeland Security saying they're concerned about some of those 23,000 gotaways yep. being from other countries that we are watching. Elliot Abrams on the Call Me Back podcast that Dan Sinar hosts said that he wouldn't at all be surprised if there are Hezbollah agents right here in the United States. So I think that's a really good point. The other thing is the GOP continues to struggle to get a speaker. And that's why I wanted to transition to that to ask you about chaos in uh, in our government and how does this compare in history? And you have a new book called To Rescue the Constitution. It is a beautiful book. The cover is stunning. It is a work of art. But what's inside is really important for us to understand is we're just two years away from celebrating the birth of this country, 250 years. And that is a pretty remarkable thing. But in the long scope of history, that's not the longest amount of time. So they rescued the Constitution once. Um, our Constitution is set in stone, but is our Congress going to make it? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that uh, it will eventually. This is a messy process. I think you're going to go through a number of votes for Speaker this week, and then there'll be some coalescing maybe next week. There's not a lot of days the House is in, uh, but they have to have a speaker and they're going to get there. Uh, I've had some talks on Capitol Hill just in the past you know, hour or so, and they, they think uh, none of the current guys has the ability to get the numbers needed. But uh, there may be a consensus candidate in the author. We'll see. But uh, the uh, book itself, you know, looks back at the the time of George Washington and the founding of the country. This focuses in on the soda straw moment of the Constitutional Convention. But it, to your point broadly, uh, you know, we have been in some dark places in our country before. Um, at the beginning, we almost didn't start. It almost collapsed numerous times. Obviously, the Civil War, after the Civil War, Grant holds the country together from falling back into a second Civil War, uh, the riots of the 60s and the 70s. So I think we do have to have some perspective. We're at a really divided time, but... Uh, usually the leaders that we need to lead step up and we'll see if that's the case now. Mm -hmm. What else do you think readers could learn from your book that will help them understand the moment we're in now? I think that I take some hope from the researching and writing of this book because not that our starting was smooth. It wasn't. It was chaotic. It was, like I said, almost fell apart numerous times and dissent was really heavy, but dissent is kind of baked in the cake to who we are. And so is union. And what Washington managed to do is mesh dissent and union and gets, you know, common ground, go someplace forward. I think that there's still hope that that's, that can happen, despite the fact that social media makes it a little tougher. I always like to learn a little bit more about how you do the research and they didn't take, they kept good records, but they weren't the kind of records that people will have of the 2023 election or 2024 election, obviously, because we have so many other ways with technology. But um, how, how do you go about writing a book about George Washington that would give a different perspective or try to hone in on something that you really wanted to talk about? So I have a great researcher. Her name is Sydney Soderbergh. She's a former mayor of Salina, Kansas, which is a small town next to Abilene, where Dwight Eisenhower grew up and lived. Um, she's spectacular, and she can find these nuggets in the National Archives of diaries of people who were in the room, and you know, just stuff that 
has been there. It's always been there, but you have to find it. It's like a treasure hunt. And so these nuggets come and then we stitch them together to give a better picture, sort of like you're in the room mm. uh, with different pieces of reflecting on that same moment. And, you know, it's very accurate. We've got a huge list of notes in the back of the book that, mm-hmm. that detail everything where it came I, from. I looked, my name wasn't in there. <laughs> no, <laughs> I, I did the Washington read. <laughs> there you go. Well, but and it's, it's cool. And I'm addicted yeah. to the process now. Yeah, really you love it. it. And you're very good at it. And it's, um, I don't know if I can, I don't want to say it's a hobby. I think it's ex- an extension of the work that you already do. You have a very busy job, but you, this is a labor of love for you. And where can people find the book? And is there an audio book as well? It is. It is an audio book and I do the reading. Oh, that's so great. Oh, I love that you did that. That must have taken a while, but maybe not too long because you're a professional. No, it's like a 10-day process Mm because you move your shirt and it's like, (laughs) I know. do that again. (laughs) But uh, it's a lot of fun. And you can get it wherever books are sold. Amazon, uh, brettbear.com has all the places. But uh, it was started out at number four Mm -hmm. on the New York Times list. Great. Congratulations. You'll well, see. It's great. And also, you know, ask your community local bookstore. If if they don't have it already, ask them to get it for you and they will do so. Um, we have to remember those guys as well in this because they yeah. are our partners in crime, as in book crime, as we say. Brett Baer, <laughs> thank you for this. I love having you on Perino and Politics. I know you're very busy. We appreciate it. But before we go, the last thing is I have a little pop quiz trivia. It's pretty easy. Mm. You get to choose from one of three categories, presidential potpourri, Campaign slogans or presidential pets? Ooh, I kind of like the pets just because I'm on with you. I think you're going to get this one. Bill Clinton was often photographed with his Labrador retriever by his side. What was this presidential pet's name? Was it Liberty, Buddy, or Major? I'm going to go with Buddy. You're right, Buddy. Remember that? And hey, kids out there listening to the podcast... Look up on Google as to when the Clintons got Buddy. It's a very interesting time frame. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone's going to go look it up. I can see the young producers going, oh, I don't know. They're going to go Google it right now. Brett Bear, thank you. Thanks for being on Perino on Politics. Thanks for having me. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to this show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. <laughs> 